I am Camille Johnson, and this is Finding the Floor. Stories and reflections of midlife motherhood, family, and finding meaning in it all. Join me as I share a little piece of my life and figure out what I want to be when I grow up. Hey everyone, welcome to Finding the Floor. This is episode 115, and today we're going to finish up the behaviors that inspire trust from the book, The Speed of Trust by Stephen M. R. Covey. Today will be behaviors 11, 12, and 13. And this may seem kind of random, but first I just want to say that sometimes we just need to be proud of ourselves for being average, (laughs) for just taking care of our lives in a very regular kind of mundane way. We have like a family friend who really struggles and just being an adult. And there have been regular times throughout her life that my parents especially have helped her out. And I was just talking to my sister and thinking about, wow, just the fact that we're able to do our dishes and pay our mortgage and mow our lawn and rake our leaves and get groceries for our kids and send them to school and help them with homework. All of those seem pretty average and not remarkable. But just doing all that is so helpful to just being a good citizen. It's just being average. like, And even just taking the time to find ways to improve listening to this podcast, which I'm always grateful for you doing, but just the willingness to think about, okay, maybe I can work a little bit more on some of these behaviors and how much a difference that makes by just doing a little bit. So like today when I made my bed and I'm thinking, okay, it's really great that I'm making my bed. So just as a reminder, When you're doing things sometimes that you may not even want to do, but you do them, it is great and a value to you and to all of us to take care of yourself and your family. Oh, okay. Kind of a random, it does kind of bring back to like this idea of just learning more and growing. And so today, as we learn about behaviors 11, 12, and 13, these behaviors combine both kind of the integrity and the competence, or they require almost what he says is an equal blend of character and competence. And they're going to seem, especially the first two, they're going to seem really familiar. And like I've covered these before in the seven habits, because they kind of are similar to those. But the last one is really um, an interesting one to think about. All right. So behavior number 11 is titled listen first. Now that is one of the principles of the seven habits is seek first to understand, then to be understood. So that begins with listen first. 
So he's including this as you choose to do that. That is what can inspire trust and develop trust with someone else if you choose to listen first. And what he says is to listen first means not only to genuinely seek to understand another person's thoughts, feelings, experiences, and point of view, but to do it first before you try to diagnose, influence, or prescribe. He says the principles behind listen first include understanding, respect, and mutual benefit. The opposite is to speak first and listen last or not listen at all. It focuses on getting out your own agenda without considering whether others may have information, ideas, or perspective that could influence what you have to say. It's ignoring other people's need to be understood, often before they're ready to listen to anyone else. The counterfeit is pretend listening. He says it's spending your listening time, which is in quotes, thinking about your reply and just waiting for your turn to speak. Or it is also listening without understanding. So he says in either case, those you listen to don't feel understood, even though you've given them time. And what was interesting is especially of all the 13 behaviors, he said, listen first is probably the least practiced. And probably the one as parents and just as friends that we just constantly need to remember to remind ourselves to listen first and to just listen without feeling like we have to solve the problem. I know sometimes it's so easy for me to want to fix things or to want to, like if someone's feeling bad, to help them somehow feel better or work through that. And the one thing that Stephen M. R. Covey suggests is like a reminder that when you're listening, you're not just listening to what they say, you're listening to how they say it. And, you know, that Stephen Covey from Seven Habits talks about giving people psychological error. Sometimes they do just need to figure things out, out of their head and get it out. And you don't really have to do anything is just simply say, so you're saying this. And I see that you might be frustrated, like seeing more than just the words, but like the feelings and expressions. He says, research shows, so this is from Stephen M. R. Covey from his book, Speed of Trust, obviously. He says, research shows that face-to-face communication regarding attitudes and feelings is 7% of what people say, 38% of how they say it, and 55% body language. So listen first means to listen with your eyes and your heart. Listen first means to listen for as well as listen to. And listen first means to listen to yourself, to your gut feelings, your own inner voice before you decide, before you act. Which I thought was also really interesting is getting good at listening to yourself. And he also mentions that I've learned that when you have a foundation of self-trust, sometimes the best voice to listen to is your own inner voice. And then he talks a little bit of as you strive to develop your four cores, which is integrity, intent, um, competence, and results, that you can slowly really build and begin to trust that inner voice. 
Okay, so he says, on the bell curve, so remember, as he talks about, there's like a sweet spot for all of these behaviors, because sometimes you can do a little too little or too much. So for um, listen first, he says, on the bell curve, you're either not listening, so you're on the left side of the curve, so you may need to focus more on humility, a mutual benefit agenda, or ensuring that the other person feels understood. If you're on the right side of the curve, spending all your time listening and never bringing the conversation to a point of decision-making, counseling, or influencing. You may want to focus on courage, acting on the person's best interest, developing decision-making, and collaboration skills, or simply getting things done. So there is this balance of not too much listening and not getting anything done, but kind of getting that sweet spot, which I always find just really interesting. Okay, and then he has a couple trust tips, which I really like this one in particular. It said, the next time you're in a conversation, stop and ask yourself, have I really listened to the other person? Do I really understand how he or she feels? If not, simply stop and do it. Set your own agenda aside and really focus on understanding the other person's point of view before you share your own. Okay, so the summary for behavior number 11, listen first, is listen before you speak, understand, diagnose, listen with your ears and your eyes and heart, find out what the most important behaviors are to the people you're working with, don't assume you know what matters to others, don't presume you have all the answers or all the questions. And that's one thing I kind of forgot to mention, which is when we do listen first, he says we get a better idea of what is important to other people. And then that is also something we can work on to build trust because we'll know how to like build the emotional bank account because we know what's kind of a good deposit for them. So that's another really good thing about listening first. Okay. Behavior number 12, keep commitments. How many times have we heard this? Like I've had, I think a handful of podcasts just about the importance of keeping commitments. And here it is again, as a way to build trust, not only with ourselves, but with others. And what he says is this is the big kahuna of all behaviors. It's the quickest way to build trust in any relationship. It's opposite to break commitments or to violate promises is without question the biggest way to destroy trust. And I love this quote he says, to paraphrase my friend Roger Merrill, when you make a commitment, you build hope. When you keep it, you build trust. Isn't that such a good thing to remember? So when you make a commitment, you build hope. And when you keep it, you build trust. And so he says, given the impact of violating commitments, it's vital to be careful with the commitments you make. Okay, and he says, however, the counterfeit of this behavior is to make commitments that are so vague or elusive that nobody can pin you down or even worse, to be so afraid of breaking commitments that you don't even make any in the first place. And he says, Napoleon Bonaparte had a saying or a line of reasoning that said, the best way to keep one's word is to not give it. 
but actually that approach actually didn't work for him in the end anyway. And he said it lacks courage and promise. So this behavior is based on the principles of integrity, performance, courage, and humility. And he says it's closely tied to other behaviors, including talk straight and deliver results. It's the perfect balance of character and competence. The other thing is, he says, there's also a lot of implicit and explicit commitments. So for instance, he says, most people who get married assume that their spouse is fully committed to the marriage and to the welfare of any children born into that relationship. When a spouse violates those commitments, it creates a serious breach of trust. So that's kind of like an implicit, not maybe necessarily a promise that you made. I mean, you did make the promise, obviously, like your vows you made. So they're implicit and explicit commitments. He says to violate them causes doubt, suspicion, cynicism, and distrust that rust the wheels of progress. To keep them generates the hope, enthusiasm, confidence, and trust that increases momentum and lubricates the accomplishment of results. Wow, what a difference. Like think about just those two things. To violate just this idea of commitments, like keeping commitments, generates doubt, suspicion, cynicism, and distrust, and rust the wheels of progress, but to keep them generates hope, enthusiasm, confidence, and trust that increases momentum and lubricates the accomplishment of results. He also makes sure to say, and as again, most of this book is kind of like very written towards business leaders. But there's always in everyone this component that relates obviously to your personal life and especially to your family. And he says that keeping commitments at home are every much as important or even probably what he says more important than commitments to people at work. And he had this story that he he was scheduled to take a business trip and he was going to be back just in time for his daughter's play that she was in and this client wanted him to stay a day longer and he had to think about that what which was more important and he has what he calls a 10-year rule like who's gonna be um what do you say what will I be glad I did in 10 years and he says usually you'll always be glad that you kept commitments with your family more than with your work so he had to tell his client that he couldn't stay longer because he had to be at his daughter's play and therefore how much trust is that building with your daughter so just understanding that it is so so important as you think about things that you promise especially with your children and your spouse that you're intentional and aware and not over promising and then somehow not keeping commitments but that they're very important. And then he also talks about, you know, the importance of keeping, again, commitments to ourself and how that will build self-trust within ourselves. So I've talked about that too, just this, uh, how important it is to keep commitments to ourselves. So in regards to just keeping commitments to ourselves, a couple weeks ago, 
I was reading this email. So like Jody Moore sends out what she calls her Take Tuesday every Tuesday. And they're just kind of thoughts she has. And I thought this one was kind of an interesting way to think about ways you're making or choosing to make commitments to yourself. Um, and she, call, she called it like talking about the truth, I think. Um, she says, sometimes I tell myself I really want something, but my actions prove otherwise. I tell myself I really want to get more sleep, but then I stay up too late. I tell myself I want to get better at writing, but I spend little to no time practicing writing. I tell myself that being present with my kids matters to me a lot, but I still hop on my phone more than I think I should. When we tell ourselves something is important, but don't act accordingly, we not only prevent the result we want, we also diminish our relationship with ourselves. If I told a friend that answering her text message was important to me, but then I continuously didn't do it, my friend would not trust me much. She might even consider me dishonest or flaky. We do the same thing with ourselves and the way out is to stop lying. Stop telling yourself that getting more sleep matters. Tell the truth, which is that you're interested in getting more sleep, but you're not committed to it. Don't beat yourself up for not being committed. Don't move into judgment. Just own that you'd rather stay up late, then get that extra sleep. Interesting, don't you think? Make peace with it and you might be surprised. You might find that suddenly staying up late, avoiding writing, or getting onto your phone isn't quite as tempting now that you don't need to escape a poor connection with yourself. Tell the truth, it will set you free. Oh, and I just really like that idea of sometimes we make these commitments that, like she said, we're really not honestly committed to. And that's also okay. Like sometimes we think we should do these things. And when you notice yourselves maybe not keeping those commitments, maybe you just take a minute and, well, maybe I'm not really committed to that right now. And then just move on. And that is also going to help you as you decide what's going on. And I've noticed like the past couple weeks, as I've scheduled my week out, because I've really been trying to, you know, do the quadrant two activity of my roles and goals. And I set out the tasks that I want to do for the week. And I've noticed that some things I've been getting done, but some things I haven't. And so I've really looked this week to say, okay, now make sure that this is something you're really going to do before you write it down. Maybe that's too many things. Let's spread them out. Um, or let's just make sure we have one each day. And I also been noticing like the time. I notice that I'm not as motivated in the afternoon and evening to do some of the things. And so I'm like, oh, well, maybe I should just get those done in the morning when I'm more motivated. Kind of that whole using instead of thinking time, like where are you most energized to do your things? So I just love kind of those two things as like really being honest with yourself with some of the things that you say you want to do, but do you really want to do them? And then just not judging yourself about it and just kind of moving on and say, well, maybe I'm just not there yet. Or maybe I need to drop it back kind of like, you know, in atomic habits, you know, make it a smaller thing so then I can do it. But all those things about keeping commitments to others and to ourselves are really important. So if you think about the bell curve, we're going to go to that. He says, left of the bell curve is you're not making enough commitments or not following through very well. You may need to focus on increasing your integrity, developing the capability to repeatedly perform this behavior and turn it into a habit or become more aware of trust building results. 
And then he says, if you're on the right side, maybe overextending yourself or making too many commitments or keeping commitments at all costs, even when the situation changes and makes it impractical or unwise. You may need to focus on building the judgment that comes from strengthening all of the four cores. And you may consider the results of making commitments that you can't or shouldn't keep. So again, I think of like if you're overextending like too much and it might be wearing you down. So being aware of all these situations. And I think especially with our family, sometimes we might say something that we realize we can't keep a commitment. And as long as we're keeping most of our commitments, I think our families and our spouses will generally understand and be forgiving. And then just be honest and kind of like include all of those other things that they said. The other behaviors that we've heard about. Okay, one of the trust tips he said was, in establishing a new relationship where you want to build trust fast, follow this process. Find a value-added reason to make a commitment and keep it and do it again and again and again. As you implement this make, keep, repeat cycle, notice how quickly the trust account grows. And this is another one I really, really liked. He said, pay attention to your language at home. Realize that when you say you will do something, the members of your family see that as a commitment. Treat what you say you will do seriously and follow through. Recognize that the trust you build at home is likely the most important trust of all. Okay, summary for behavior number 12, keep commitments. Say what you're going to do, then do what you say you are going to do. Make commitments, both explicit and implicit, very carefully and keep them at almost all cost. Communicate when you can't. Make keeping commitments a symbol of your honor. Don't break confidences. Don't attempt to spin your ways out of a commitment you've broken. All right, last behavior, behavior number 13, extend trust. And before each, um, he has lots of quotes from other people throughout his book, which I haven't really included. So as a reminder, this really is a good book. I liked this quote he had from Ralph Waldo Emerson, trust men and they will be true to you. Treat them greatly and they will show themselves great. So he had this great story about coaching his son's little league football team. It was a flag football team, and there happened to be a girl on the team named Anna. And he said she wasn't the best player, but he was just like really impressed with her effort and her willingness to come out and play with mostly boys. So they ended up winning most of their games, and he had this kind of like because I think it was just a rec league. And so he kind of had this formula of making sure that everyone had equal play time to make sure that it all worked out. So they had this last like kind of championship game, I guess, for this league, the end of the year game. And they'd won all their games. And this was like a really important, you know, match. It would help them like be the champions of that season or whatever. And he, at the time, Anna was in and he was trying to decide if he should take her out because there was like a big play coming up. It was right near the end of the game. They were ahead, but the other team was like close to scoring. And if they scored, then they could lose. 
but he decided to leave Anna in the game and trust that she could do what he had been working with them to do. And so he leaves her in the game. She ends up like pulling the flags off this, you know, boy's belt. However, I think they're, yeah, they're on the belt. And then they end up winning the game. And he just felt like that made such a difference. That willingness to trust her made such a difference for him and for her. And he even said if they hadn't have won the game, he would have still been glad that he trusted her. But it was so cute because at the end, he said like she ended up writing this report on how important that was. Like in fourth grade, his mom like showed it to her. She's probably now in college now. And how what an impact that willingness of him to trust her to do something. And so he says... How many of us have had that situation where someone has trusted us and we have had the opportunity to really step up? And so he says, it is a different in kind from the rest of the behaviors. It's about shifting from trust as a noun to trust as a verb. While the other behaviors help you become a more trusted person or manager, this behavior will help you become a more trusting leader. He says, it's a game changer. Not only does it build trust, it leverages trust. And he says it builds what he calls a reciprocity. So when you start trusting people, then other people tend to trust in return. And he says, additionally, and ironically, what he says is extending trust is one of the best ways to create trust when it isn't there. He says, sometimes you can have two trustworthy people who are working together, but there's no trust between them because they're not willing to extend trust to the other person. And so he says, how do you balance being gullible or kind of Pollyanna or taken to the cleaners or burned? And he says what he calls that is smart trust. And we're actually, I'm going to spend a whole another podcast about smart trust because he had like a whole extra chapter. So that'll be coming out next week on Thanksgiving. Um, I'm actually going to like record it before I head out for Thanksgiving, but we'll cover that more in depth in like the next episode. Okay, so Extend Trust is based on the principles of empowerment and reciprocity, as well as on the fundamental belief that most people are capable of being trusted, want to be trusted, and will run with trust when it is extended to them. The opposite of extend trust is to withhold trust, which creates an enormous cost everywhere, especially in organizations. He talks about Warren Buffett a lot and his idea about trust. And he says they have like a motto that their people deserve trust unless they prove otherwise. And so that's sort of how he distinguishes it's not blind trust, it's smart trust. And so he says what smart trust includes, and we'll go a little bit deeper because he does in his book, um, it includes discernment in the selection of people, communication of clear expectations, and establishing high standards of accountability. He says, above all, it includes the intentional extension of trust. People respond to being trusted. They thrive on it. They're inspired by it. Okay, and then he says the counterfeit of extend trust takes on two forms. 
First, you can have false trust. It's giving people the responsibility, but not the authority or resources to get the task done. And the other one is what is called fake trust, where you act like you're giving someone trust, but you really don't. And you end up like doing their job for them or you hover kind of big brother type behaviors. And this is where I think is so fascinating. So here is Stephen M. R. Covey, who when he was seven years old, was extended trust by his dad. And it seems interesting to me that now, like kind of his, I guess what he calls his like purpose in life is to help people understand the importance of building trust with people and how important that small thing of his dad extending trust to him and helping him with the clean and green in the yard. Like how fundamental was that in his just overall feeling a purpose in life and as a business leader to feel the importance of that. He says, by extending trust, you empower people, you leverage your leadership, you create a high trust culture that brings out the best in people, creates a high level of synergy, maximizes the ability of any organization, whether it be a business, a school, a nonprofit organization, or a family to accomplish what it sets out to do. I just think that's so cool. And I see this a lot sometimes when I, I see my kids be frustrated sometimes in school. I wish sometimes that they could be extended more trust. And I know that some students are extended a lot more trust because of their behavior. But in general, I feel like there needs to be more trust extended to students so that they can feel like they're respected in a way. Okay, so with the bell curve, he says, if you're on the left side of the curve, you are not extending enough trust or not extending it effectively. You may want to particularly focus on increasing courage or enhancing your propensity to trust or on improving your ability to clarify expectations, hold others accountable, or extend smart trust in more actionable ways. And again, he goes deeper into this and I wanted to cover that. So that'll be next week as well. If you're on the right side, you're probably extending too much trust and getting burned. You need the judgment that comes from the development of the four cores. Okay, so a couple of his trust tips. Again, I usually kind of hone into one with the parents that are really actionable for me. But it says, if you are a parent, pay attention to the ways in which you interact with your children. Do you tend to be suspicious, hover over them, or micromanage? Or do you tend to treat them as responsible people who are worthy of your trust? And then again, he kind of goes over how to be better at doing that. And I think part of that is like clarifying expectations, holding them accountable. He says, uh, let's see, you might consider your tendencies and what messages they are communicating to family members and what are the results. Okay. So kind of cool. So the summary for extend trust is demonstrate a propensity to trust. Extend trust abundantly to those who have earned your trust. Extend trust conditionally to those who are earning your trust. Learn how to appropriately extend trust to others based on the situation, risk, and credibility, character, and competence of the people involved. But start with a propensity to trust. Don't withhold trust because there is risk involved. Okay, so that covers the 13 behaviors. 
And really, the rest of the book goes over how he talks about there's like your personal trust, then you have relationship, and this is where the behaviors come in, and then he's, you have organizational trust, market trust, and societal trust. So organizational trust is like, how are you running your organization? And is it in a way that aligns with ways that you can build trust? And he says, this can relate to your family because your family is an organization. And he has a few questions. They're kind of a lot that you want to ask to think about your family in related to like the four cores. So it begins with, does our family have integrity? Are the values clear? And do the rules and guidelines, structures and systems, and the behavior of the parents support those values? Is there an environment of honesty and humility? Do family members have the courage to express their ideas and opinions freely? And do they do so with respect? Okay. The next one, does our family have good intent? Have we structured a culture of respect and caring? Is the agenda mutual benefit or is it just the adults or children who win? Do our systems reward cooperation? Next, what are our family's capabilities? Does the structure provide for and encourage development and growth? Is it safe to learn by making mistakes? Are systems in place to help children develop the life skills they will need to succeed as adults? And then what results does our family produce? Are systems in place to create joy in shared accomplishment? Is there an abundance of rich interaction, support, and love? Are family members achieving important goals, both individually and as a family? And then if you kind of evaluate, maybe you can see what behaviors you might need to work on or systems you need to put in place to help with those things. He says, do we behave in high trust ways? Do we straight talk? Do we demonstrate respect? Do we show loyalty? Do we keep commitments? If not, what structures and systems are rewarding low trust behavior and what can we do to create change? And he just says, it's really important to make sure that you're seeing how your structure or your rules or your systems are aligning with ways that are building trust within your family. And then he talks about like market trust, which is about your reputation, And again, you kind of have those same questions. Does my brand or reputation have integrity? Does my brand demonstrate good intent or does my reputation? Does my brand or or reputation demonstrate capabilities? And is my brand associated with results? And there are more questions again, like going into all of this. But he says it's really good if you notice where you might be having issues. Again, you can kind of take that little test he has at the beginning and see where you're lacking and then kind of pinpoint some of those behaviors that might be helpful. And then he says, so the fifth, what he calls waves, kind of talks about how you have a pebble and it kind of waves out, is societal trust. And what he says, the overriding principle of societal trust is contribution, the intent to create value instead of destroy it and to give back instead of take. Okay, so that's kind of the general overview of the rest of the book, except for there's two chapters that I'm going to kind of go in more depth um, on next week, more about learning really to understand smart trust and a little bit more about extending trust because I think those two seem to be really important to really understand like the balance of 
not kind of being gullible and not being so super cynical. Because it's so funny how I feel like for me with Extend Trust, and especially like as I've been doing this podcast and I have people reaching out to me, hey, I have this website. Do you want to be involved in this or da, 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 And I'm very like, I don't know you. I don't know what's going on. Are you just out to get me? I'm not making any money, people. So kind of understanding there needs to be the balance. And we'll talk about this more next week. But this idea, the propensity to trust as well as good analysis. And then... Um, you can find that balance. Okay, but that'll be next week. So guys, have an awesome Thanksgiving because the next time I'll be talking to you, it will be the day after Thanksgiving. And just, again, be so grateful for some of the little things you're doing in your lives and making choices to try to improve and develop more trust within your family or within yourself. I think it's just really important to remember that. And have an awesome week again. Have a great Thanksgiving and enjoy your turkey and your favorite desserts. And I know our favorite thing to make, we always get assigned the sweet potatoes because we have this awesome recipe. So I know I'm going to be enjoying that. Okay, guys, have a great week and I will talk to you next week. Thanks for joining me. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you have any questions, come by findingthefloor.com where I will have show notes and links for anything I've mentioned today. Special thanks to Seth Johnson for creating and performing the theme music. Come back next week and thanks for listening. 